0: Hi, this is Matthias and today we interview an entrepreneur from Düsseldorf in Germany. His name is Max Graz and I came across Max as he reached out to me about my peer-to-peer workshop and we later met for a cappuccino in the German Apfelschall in a coffee shop. I think we talked about two hours about investing, business, and yeah, today we continue the conversation directly in the podcast. So today's topics are, of course, his companies in education and legal tech, his obstacles. He has some very good advice for us, um, how to deal with co-founders, and we talk about the personality of an entrepreneur and in which disciplines Max sucks. So I hope you find the story inspiring for your own journey, and see you in a bit.
1: Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast,
2: where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money.
1: This was your host, Alvar,
0: Arminta
2: and Matthias.
0: So hello, welcome to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Today we have a guest with me and also my co-host, Arminta, Erminta, say hi.
2: Hello.
0: And we have a guest, it's called Max. Max, say hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> Hello. And it's uh, the following. I've met, or oh, Max, we we talked together about the peer-to-peer learning workshop I recently had, and that's why we uh, just were talking. And then finally we said, okay, let's meet up uh, to talk about other topics. And then we kind of met in a bakery and we talked for two hours <laughs> and we could have maybe talked also two hours longer. So that's why I was thinking, why not continuing our talk right now in the podcast. So and now we're here and talking about mainly about entrepreneurship. And uh, Max, maybe it's the best if you can talk a little bit or just some key facts about you, who you are, where you come from, how old you are and so on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, of course, in the podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm Max. I'm from uh, Düsseldorf. Born and raised here in Germany. And um, yeah, I basically started uh, working in the IT sector at the age of uh, 30. And since then, um, yeah, focused a lot on, in the beginning, a lot on, uh, on development, on, on application development, but then with 16, the first startup started. So um, then I came in, into the role of mixing business and IT together. And um, yeah, now I'm an entre- entrepreneur in the IT sector am um, focused on tech companies, by the way, I, I studied in, uh, in Münster business informatics, but uh, that was more of a, of a side project there.
0: <laughs> okay. So um, how did you all so you, you said you, you, you studied business informatics and went to IT and now you're a kind of entrepreneur, as you said, how did it all start started? Where did you have the idea where did you meet the co-founders tell us a little bit how it all started with your first company?
1: So, um, basically, that was with, uh, at the age of uh, 16. I was still going to, to school here in Benra Düsseldorf in the west of Germany. And um, one day at night, uh, one of my best friends, um, he called me uh, from a party. He, he was uh, together there with, uh, with one of his neighbors. And uh, they were like, um, yeah, yeah, Max, I have a friend here. Um, he, he needs a website. And, uh, then so, so, we met, we met and, uh, um, he, he told me about the idea of, um, the startup was called Educaro and, um, or is called Educaro. Um, we are pretty successful with it by now. Um, and, uh, yeah, he told me about the idea of, um, helping students from abroad, from developing countries to, um, yeah, fulfill their journey to Germany. So. Basically, how it, how it worked was, um, we have language schools abroad in developing countries. We started in Tunisia there. And there we we teach um, people the the first levels of German in our own schools. We give them free consultation about their opportunities in Germany, about how it works in Germany, how how the process to go there works. And um, yeah, after that, we help them with their visa dossier, with their university applications and also with their placement, with their cultural integration in Germany, Um, because that's a big point for people there. So um, yeah, I was pretty um, fascinated by the idea, and uh, then it was all in the, uh, in, in the in the starting phase, in the in the idea phase. So we, we started. I, I built the website, and uh, from the website there came a few more ideas and ideas, and a few more, and a few more, and um, yeah, then we got into the the first project there. Together And um, yeah, basically my part in it was I was I was one of the, the co-founders specialized in digitalization. So how can we combine this heavily um, local and basically offline focused um, business? How can we combine that with tech to bring it to a more scalable level to reach a lot of different people at the same time? That's how it all started, uh, how the first project um, began. And um, yeah, by then, i it's been about six years since that started now. And um, yeah, uh, since the beginning in, in Tunisia, there with the first local language school. We had that um, two years ago, uh, four years ago. We've built four more schools in Tunisia, so now it's five uh, German language schools there, um, two in India. And this year, uh, we're very proud uh, that, that we started in um, Turkey, Mexico, and uh, soon there will be an opening in Morocco as
0: well. All right. And why, um, why Tunisia and uh, India? What, what, why these countries? It all started in Tunisia basically because
1: the idea was born there. So in Tunisia, um, one one of the co-founders, uh, Christian, he had um, an internship a few years ago. Um, he was there during his, uh, his bachelor studies um, and uh, had an internship at a local Tunisian language school for learning German. And uh, there he, he, during his internship, he found out that they are basically selling people a bag of shit. <laughs> Can I say that on the podcast here? <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. So, people they, they were basically ripping off poor students that um yeah, wanted to that had the dream of going to Germany. So, yeah, nearly went something like, "Hey, give me 10,000 euros and I will bring you to Germany. Don't don't worry." And then a year later, um the student asked like, "Hey, wh- where's my visa? Can I go to Germany now?" And the money was gone. So, yeah, that's that's how it happened in some cases even. And uh, from there the idea was born to give people transparent information about um how to go to Germany in one way, and then on the other hand also helping them in a in a transparent and also in a in a normally priced and in an in an honest way to go there. And uh yeah, by now I think we pretty successfully achieved our goal there to help people and um yeah, that, that was the goal. Uh, that was the reason why we, we started in Tunisia. Basically, we, we knew a lot of competitor, competitors there. We had some contacts. Um, we had investors, local investors there that um, supported the first school. And um, yeah, that, that was the perfect point to start. After that, um, India was the. um, We we went to India after that because that was mainly the, the second biggest market worldwide for people going to Germany to study. And in India, we had a special opportunity to build a market for studying in Germany in German because. Like you may know in India, everybody speaks, nearly everybody speaks English. So for them, it's no problem to to go to the US or go to Germany or the UK to, to study there because they already know the language. And in Germany, there are some study fields that you can do in English. So um, a lot of people were already doing that. But um, also a lot of people were interested in going to Germany, but all of the German study fields that were offered in English were already full, and uh, for them they they didn't see the the meaning in why to to learn German. I mean, I already know English; I can I can go there directly. Why should I learn German? Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's it is indeed pretty important um, because like fifty percent of the people that studied in Germany from India um, that studied in English they go back to their home country after because they they can't integrate they can't find a lot of friends they uh, cannot integrate with with uh, yeah local local shops and local businesses even to, to find a job later so that was uh, in india we had a, a quite an education mission and and also yeah a business one
2: yeah, that, that's very cool. And I like uh, how you're, it must be a very rewarding business because not only are you, well, not only is it a business, but you're also helping others uh, get to where they want to be, which is which is very interesting. And from the point of view, like um, of, of, well, our listeners or, or what we like to talk about is, you know, starting a business. So could you give us a bit more like details on how exactly you got started, the different tasks that you were doing, or what was your contribution to, this, to the success of the company? What were actionable things or just tasks that you were doing, like specific ones yeah, to yeah. something that, you know, that, that we could um, maybe apply if we were interested in starting a business, for example?
1: Okay. So, I mean, the, the most important thing, if you, um, start in the developing countries and if you start a local business, not, not just an online one is, um, yeah, you need to find local partners to help you. Um, it's, that's, that's really one of the most important things that we, we learned through our, um, yeah, experience with Educaro. It's, um, you need to find local partners to help you with finding an office to help you mainly with legal stuff that can be like, it took us 16 months to register a company in India because we trusted the wrong people, the wrong lawyers. Yeah. But um, for, from those mistakes, you learn. And uh, so in the new countries, Turkey and Mexico, we, we were prepared um, we, we directly. Um, like if, if we start in a country, we find mainly one, local partner that knows the city that knows businesses that that knows the the local customer the the customer type and that can help us with everything like in beginning finding an office um, registering a company finding an accountant a a lawyer Um, like the first management stuff that you need to do when you start a company like in germany it's, it's way easier because it's way more transparent but yeah, they're, they're in developing countries. It's it's quite a hassle. And then, um, I mean, after that, after you set up your, your first office and you, you have the regulatory stuff done, it's all about finding good employees. That's the key point. Um, Like, really, yeah. <laughs> finding yeah. good people, it took us a long time, especially in Tunisia. I think after two years, we found a very good team. And by now, we, we still have that team. And, and it's working very good. But yeah, it... Took cu- quite some time to find the people there.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, a lot of businesses or will attribute their success to the team. It's at the end of the day, without the people, it could be a mess. So it's interesting that yeah, team is yeah. is a, the starting point. Really,
1: what I learned through the years, uh, what you could say as a as a general um, uh, yeah summary is. A company does not consist of a product or or an idea or something. It, it consists really of the people that build it. Um, because if you have the the right team, you can yeah basically do do anything you want. If you have good smart people that are that 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 have uh, the skills and logical and abstract thinking and uh yeah communication social skills then uh, yeah you're good to go in and join in any any business idea you'd like yeah so that's very the the really the most important part and as soon as you you have that assembled like the the basic offers the team and everything is starting to run you start marketing the, the first students uh, start arriving um i myself also did did consultations uh, w- with students themselves about what their opportunities are in germany and uh, my french is terrible so <laughs> it, it was quite quite uh yeah a hassle in the beginning but um yeah i i managed to 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 accomplish those um that's the, the, the main part in, in starting. And as soon, as soon as you have all of that set up, you can focus on yeah really expanding and, and scaling. And that's where where my strength also came in. Um, when you have the, the main part set up and that's starting to run itself, then we, we started really on focusing on the tech side, on building basically an ecosystem for our students where they can, from their local German class, go and... Um, find e-learning uh, find e-learning contents um, Yeah, in addition to their to their local class um, where they can yeah start and, and track and also interact with us um, regarding their visa application where they can um, learn about uh, the, the culture in Germany with, with material to, how to integrate there um, what are ge- common German cultural cultural things that you need to pay attention to how do you find a flat in Germany all of those those Things basically that you um, need to know. Yeah, we we uh, my main part uh, in Educaro is um, we started building a management system. Um, yeah, basically consisting of a CRM, accounting modules, HR. So anything that we needed to manage that we started with Excel with in the beginning, we built into our own a small ERP. Of course, not as complicated as SAP or something, <laughs> something in that section, in that sector. But um, yeah, we we build a, a system to manage everything we, we need. Also, local classes, booking classes with with uh, German uh, school partners in Germany, and um, yeah, also integrating that with uh, with with online web interfaces for our customers, um, where they can access their ecosystem and in addition to their to their local classes inform themselves and learn and also with uh, we build a mobile app as well to have our hands in the in the customer's pocket uh, basically so we can reach them at any time provide them with their timetables um, with status updates with things we need from them with cool events that we host in our uh, in our locations and uh, that's uh, one of the main uh, digital aspects uh, that we build.
2: So you say that you were, so your main part was in expanding and uh, uh, expanding the business. What do you, would you say were the biggest obstacles when it came to that, uh, the expansion? So obviously the beginning is probably the hardest part, you know, getting the right team, knowing what you're doing when you're starting out. And then when it comes to expansion in a developing country, where, what were the biggest problems when, when it came to that?
1: Yeah so there are um multiple sides to this. So um of course the 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 first part is is marketing. If you want more if you if you build more offices, I mean building more offices that's not the the biggest problem. You do it like with the first one, uh, yeah, you 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 find an office, you find a team, you put them in there, you you teach them, you 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 coach them until they they run themselves. So yeah, that's that's a long process that that takes a lot of time and a lot of hassle as well. But as soon as you have that, um, you reach obstacles like um, how do you get more customers? Like Tunisia, for example, it's a country. It's not as big as the U.S. or or India, for example. There you can really scale up because you have you have so many people. It's incredible. Yeah, but but there, for example, at some point you you reached all of the the potential customers facebook feeds um you reached all of their instagram feeds you were in all of their google searches and stuff like that that's the point where we um i mean in the beginning we mostly did um only facebook marketing and uh, we had some flyer distribution going on um of course some offline marketing some posters but yeah mainly mainly facebook and and also with a with a pretty small budget um compared to what you what you would spend here in germany for example as soon as we got bigger there, we increased the Facebook budget, but at some point there there was a, a, a limit hit and we couldn't, um, yeah, get any more people interested through that, um, at least not with with appropriate cost. So uh, what we did uh, then we started expanding our offline marketing heavily. So um, and and that's always depending on the on on the market. In India, for example, we needed to do a lot a lot more offline marketing directly in the beginning so uh, they always have the the the, the challenges uh, of of each country all of the mentalities are different all of their yeah habits are different how to what interests people um how can you reach them like also the the usage, the usage of social media um uh, varies heavily for example tunisia they all of them love Facebook. All of them use Facebook. They, Everybody uses it. And um, here in Germany, um, yeah, the younger generation uh, Facebook is, is dead. So all of them use Instagram now. And that transition is coming slowly in those developing countries as well. But they're, yeah, they're, as, this, as the name says, they are developing. So they're always like a, a few years uh, behind us in general. But that's also not a not a, a precise answer that you can give for every country of course
0: what i understood is that you especially in the beginning you you started a lot um, by hand so you had to build all the process and you had some labor intense processes and now and then you scaled a lot and used you leveraged technology um, for marketing, for, to increase the value, for example, with your um, online education services. And um, yeah, you reach then also out by, by Instagram and marketing campaigns and so on. And went then back to the online, uh, to offline uh, promotion. And yeah, that's interesting to see the life cycle um, that you manage from the, from the start to, to the beginning. And what, what I would like to ask you now, to back, going back to the start, and um, just looking mm-hmm. back from, from now to the start, what would you say, I mean, you, you have a, a team in the beginning and what would you recommend to other uh, people who want to start a business together with other people or friends, uh, how to, to work together? What, how can you assemble a good team? How could you work together in a productive way for a longer period of time? Are there any tricks, any, any advice that you can give us?
1: So... What I could say regarding that is um, that if you want to find a good team that you can can work with, like if you want to find partners and and also especially the first employees uh, that that you hire, those need to be highly reliable people that you can trust. Um, that's that's like the main part because um, if you, uh, that's also why why I to, to start a business I would never go. Um, and, and force that in like uh, and, and like uh, offer in job portals or or visit every every job event um, to to find people there it's it's always you need to find those people's uh, those people through, through your personal connections so for example with the education startup it, uh, I, I found the, the first partner there through um, a neighbor um, and they called me at the party so um, yeah that's that's how we got together there, and that's why it, why it worked out in a good way and uh, the, for example, for the second project that I started this year in, in a in a legal tech sector, um I found the partner that I'm doing the project with there through uh, one of my best friends so um yeah from from my experience, working together with people that you find through close personal connections uh, works um awesome.
0: So, because you you know them, you know um, their char- character, and you know that they are reliable and so on. I, I've also seen other people; they know each other a long time, and then they started working together, and then it really didn't work out in the end. For example, also in my case, I started a project with somebody, and then we we, we still uh, meet each other and are friends. But in 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 this business, it's particular business; it doesn't work out really good in the end. So. I guess it's um, yeah, it's not always the case uh, somehow, but at least you know the people and uh, yeah, you know what to expect, what you can expect, so less risk involved.
1: Definitely, and um, also what what I could say to to your, I I don't know how it was in your case especially, but um, what is very important for me is to um, if if you have business partners that you that that you can trust and that you can speak freely with everything about that's like one of the most important things because if you start like um, uh, holding things back and not telling you uh, yeah everything freely and and honestly then things start to go sideways um, hmm. and i think with with people that you knew before that you that you know through your close personal network it's a lot more more easy to to be open about things yeah, yeah i think i yeah. think you
0: you're pretty much right with the honesty uh, part because i also i think uh, Honesty is rediscovered a little bit in relationships, but also in business, that uh, a lot of things go- going to happen that are not good because of a lack of honesty and, and trust. And I think that's uh, one of the things people can, in, in modern companies and organizations, they can leverage trust uh, trust and honesty to work together and solve problems uh, faster because they have direct communication and they can, they identify the problem faster and then they can also solve the problem faster. So it's a, I think, uh, yeah, that's, it's a good way to, to be honest, I would say. And just another topic, um, what that comes to my mind uh, in the bakery, you managed a trick you, you, you did in, in your education startup. The, um, using of unused capacity that you, for example, at daytime, nobody was in these schools. And then you, you just, uh, rented out these, uh, property to other people and you had Mm, additional mm. revenue stream. And I think this, um, yeah, this unused capacity, um, that can also apply to, I would say to other types of businesses and also maybe to your, your private, um, living room or to your flat. I think that's also a good, um, principle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean we've seen it with with Airbnb, right? So basically what we what we did in the education project was in the end we 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 had a lot of schools, we had a lot of uh, offices that were rented and that we paid rent for. Now the problem there is depending on the the country and the time of year and and how people are are busy, you're not always rent, yeah, you're not always have classes running at every time of the day. So of course in the morning we had a lot of classes running then during lunch we had some classes running and then most of the classes we had running in the evening after people came home from school there yeah, they they ate something and then they they went to to learn German um so yeah evening and also night classes were were always awesome but then during the afternoon and also mostly during lunchtime we, our classrooms were empty so um, at first, we, we tried to force to, to put classes in there with special offers, with uh, yeah, more intense marketing, but that didn't work out because there were just too few people that had time in this, in this time frame. So, another idea came to our mind um, and it was actually inspired by, by Airbnb. So, we have rooms here. Those rooms are equipped with chairs, with tables, with a beamer, with a whiteboard. They are completely equipped for. We we use them for meetings ourselves. So why not rent those to companies or to to just to to startups, to to small organizations that don't have big meeting rooms themselves. So um, yeah, then then we started doing that and also like uh, building a small co-working project out of that because. Of course, finding people just to, run mar- uh, just to run meeting rooms without being in, in that location, um, without working in that location, is also turned out to, to be a little bit hard. So um, we, we added more uh, to also to our new offices. We are adding more capacity, sometimes even a whole floor next to uh, or on top of our our office that we use for for the language school, and we build a small co-working space in there. So. There we can put uh, people. There we can rent out working spaces, like working stations, really, and then we can freely rent out uh, the classrooms as meeting rooms to those people as well. And uh, that turns out to be a pretty good way to use your unused capacity, because like we we have so much unused capacity laying around. Um, even each each private person, they don't use their car twenty four seven. When they are on vacation, they don't use their flat. So or even if you if you have a boat in in Spain uh, laying around on the on the coast, uh, you use that what like two or three weeks a year, and then the rest of the year it's unused. That's just um, yeah potential la- laying around, and uh, I think everybody, every business, of course, and but also every private person, um, if they are willing to put in the effort, they can um, make some money out of that unused capacity, and um, yeah, not uh, th- throw their money out of the, the window. General yeah,
2: I, I like that idea of uh, maximizing efficiency, really. That's what you're saying, right? Making your business as efficient as possible in different ways. That's a good idea. And actually, uh, it'd be interesting also, so you've started this business uh, in these developing countries. Can you tell us a bit where you're at now? What is your new venture? Uh, how? What is your role now in uh Edu Educaro. Educaro. Yes. Educaro. Yeah. What is your role now? And and what are you doing now with with new companies, new ideas, new ventures?
1: Yeah, so basically where Educaro is right now, we have five offices in Tunisia, two schools in India, one in Turkey, one in Mexico, and more coming, more in the way. We we've just had a financing round this spring. So um yeah, there there we are scaling up. It's it's like the the scaling of offices has become more routine um, because by now we have our internal management system that um, handles all of our operations and that can scale those up. We have the connection to our customers with a personal app with with an online interface. So there we are pretty um, like if we want to to open an office in a new country country by now, we just need the financing and um, yeah to find the people there and uh, to to analyze the market. Of course, I mean that's always a prerequisite. But um, yeah, there we are just heavily scaling up and also transforming a little bit our our current course is heading more away from students to professional to placement of professionals of working professionals because that especially in Germany is is a big issue like hospitals have problems finding nurses and and doctors the big big uh, auto, automobile companies here and I mean Germany Germans are known for for building cars like big car manufacturers they have a huge lack of engineers of specialists uh, IT firms need uh, need developers so in in Germany we have a huge lack of uh, working professionals so that's also a thing we try to tackle with very experienced and also with with very good people from India and from Tunisia and from, from other countries that are mostly not accessible for German companies. I mean, who has the idea as a as a like medium-sized IT firm to um, post job offers in Tunisia? Nobody would do that normally because they don't have the access. They don't know how to how to rate those people. They don't know how to get those people to Germany. So um yeah that's that's one big project we we tackle there at the moment and um all right new venture so about a year ago i started um working together um or consulting a uh, law firm from düsseldorf here um that was working in the dieselgate scandal i mean volkswagen um as you may know put a lot of uh, cheat software into their uh, diesel diesel cars to uh, minimize the, um, the the exhaust uh, values the co2 values and and also the yeah, the dangerous materials that that come out of the the car, and um, in 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 that scandal, they have, or they had around ten thousand people that they needed to handle, and. Um, Although each um, individual case, each individual c- individual claim is very tailored and, and uh, requires a lot of personal attention from, a, from an attorney, there was potential to, um, to automize that, to bring efficiency in those 10,000 cases. So I started um, consulting them on, on to how they can maximize their efficiency, how they can digitalize processes. We modeled some and, and so on. But um, they had a big problem. And that problem was they were using a software to handle those 10,000 uh, people that was just not capable of, of handling this volume. And in Germany, there's uh, I, I did a lot of research. I mean, I was consulting them. So I, I did my research and I tried to find a software solution that could handle all of the needs of a law firm that has 5000 even even just 2000 or 3000 cases I, I mean every every law software that is on the market there will just burst under that volume uh, yeah you cannot scale up with those so what we did there um and we started pretty quickly then um to to develop our own software that can help us especially in this scandal and and also with new uh with with new cases with with new construction sites with with new claims that have 1000 or more people that that are uh, a part of it so Basically, we started building that software, and the core of that software is a module that can automate processes and um, mainly those processes are are letters, our um, claims are complex documents that you need to generate so for example, the claim that we sent to volkswagen now to 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 process the to get back the money for for the customer for their car is completely automatically generated and then in the end the lawyer has a look at it the lawyer reads through the claim the lawyer corrects any mistakes that may exist but until that point we have a lot of things that, that we can just automate i mean it's it starts at documents that a law firm receives every document that they receive via fax email via via post yeah via via normal mail all of them need to be scanned all of them need to be stamped like with a with a with a paper stamp so we <laughs> They even started uh, printing out emails to put on a, uh, an arrival date uh, stamp on there. So all of those things, um, we put them into our software. Everything from the first paper letter that arrives in in the law firm uh, until the, the the last claim that is sent out to to other parties is completely digitalized. And um, yeah, that's uh, where we use newest technologies to 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 help law firms as as well. And um, Somewhere later around this year, we will start the first pilots with other law firms um, to use this um, software as well.
2: Nice. So this is uh, your new venture then, and you would call you, you could call yourself like, uh, well, a serial entrepreneur, I guess, someone who has built two businesses or who's working on them. So that's that's very interesting. Uh, we're just going to summarize and, and finish up now because we don't have much time, but... What do you think is next for you? Do you think uh, after this, yeah, so you're working on these two businesses, would you go back into the developing world uh, for maybe a third project? Or what do you think? uh, What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think that it is very important to put focus onto one project at a time and to, to really put everything you can into that project. Because I've experienced uh, during the first startup, during Adrucaro, I, I did my studies by the side. I studied business informatics. So it was manageable, but you just saw how um, you you cannot focus on a lot of different things at 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 one point because then you cannot give the 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 love and the and the attention to detail into each project and yeah yeah, so um my plan for now is to to focus heavily on building up the uh it's called justa by the way um the 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 law software and um as soon as we have a running team there like in three or four years when when we have a, a running team when the when a business is mainly mainly automated and um, we have good people there then uh, yeah maybe it's time for the next project <laughs> we'll see what lays on my
2: way awesome I, I like that advice of focusing on one thing at a time very good so uh, let's move on to our final questions Matthias would you like to ask the first one
0: uh, <laughs> yes of course um, so Max where can people find you online I think we, we, we have to chat again uh, in one of the next episodes to um, talk a little bit more about entrepreneurship but first of all, if people are curious, is there any way to reach out to you um, to find you online? Are there any websites, Instagram channels, Snapchat, TikTok?
1: <laughs> so where can people find me online? Um, yeah, you can basically find me online on uh, LinkedIn. And uh, as soon as we, we publish um, our first uh, yeah, official uh, website there with the new legal tech project with Justa, um, you can find us on justa.io. And uh, Educaro, of course, uh, you can find a lot of different websites, educaro.de, .tn, .in. So, uh, yeah, for each country there, we have a different representation.
2: Perfect. We'll add those in the show notes. Uh, Question number two, what is one resource not well-known that you would recommend to others, blog, podcast, book, anything you can think of?
1: Ooh, not (laughs) well-known. I mean, basically, if it's about development, uh, Stack Overflow, I mean, everybody knows that not well known, let me think about it. One of the books I can really recommend about efficiency and about automation is the four hour work week i
2: mean it's it's pretty well known. pretty
1: well known <laughs> but that that is right, like one of my favorite books really
2: yeah, so sadly, Max's uh laptop battery ran out, but uh, we're gonna add all those links in the show notes so you won't be missing out. And uh, yeah, today was an interesting episode because Max is, uh, yeah, he, he likes, well, he's working on these very interesting businesses and uh, we don't really, well, we, we've we only talked to a few people who have started businesses in developing countries. So it's nice to hear how others do it and that it's actually possible. And sometimes there's even more opportunity there than, than in the Western world, where sometimes the market is oversaturated. Anyway, great episode. I hope you enjoyed it and uh, see, you see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu Thank you for listening and see you next time.